You're listening to The Bible for Normal People, the only God-ordained podcast on the internet. Serious talk about the sacred book. I'm Pete Enns. And I'm Jared Bias. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of The Bible for Normal People. Well, the topic for today is anxiety in the life of faith, and our guest is Elizabeth Enns Petters, who you don't know who she is, but I do, because I raised her. This is my daughter, Elizabeth. And, you know, what prompted this is... You know, we mentioned this early on in the podcast, but the sin of certainty that I wrote a few years ago, a big moment for me was processing my own life and my own faith through Elizabeth's struggles with anxiety. And she has a story to tell, and and, and it's a story that I know will benefit people because one of the questions, the question I get from that book, the most common question is, how's Liz because we have kids in our family who are clearly prone to anxiety. And Liz gets to tell part of her story here. And the thing I appreciated, you know, you, you appreciate it because it, it's your daughter. I appreciate it because we haven't really talked about mental health and anxiety and how that interacts with the Bible and faith on the podcast. And I think it's really important. I think it's more and more a struggle of, of more and more people. And we have to be able to integrate this discussion in in healthy ways. I think it doesn't get talked about enough. And so I, I appreciate uh, Liz was very open and very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated that honesty because these are things that we, we just need to be able to talk about. And she does it in just a really wonderful way. Right. Well, let's get to it, shall we? Sounds good. I wanted answers. I wanted to know why I felt different. I wanted to know why the world felt scary. I wanted to know why I didn't want to be alive. I wanted to know where God was. I wanted to know why he had abandoned me. So I spent a lot of time really seeking God and really not hearing from Him. And so I think that was a really, really hard thing for me. And I think that that really affected my faith for years to come. And I would even say still now. Well, it's that time, folks. It's time for us to talk about microdosing. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. Microdosing can help you get into a relaxed, focused zone easier and stay there longer. It has benefits for workout recovery, sleep, anxiety relief, boosting creativity, and even pain relief. You know, Jared, I have a really good friend of mine who saw that I was taking microdose gummies, and she said, can I try some? And so I gave her some of the sativa strand, and she said it has made such a difference for her at work and just in general, just feeling more alert and more focused, and it's quite amazing. So get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code normal people. That's one word. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code normal people for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code normal people. Well, welcome to the show, Liz. It's great to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, well, Liz, have we met? Um, briefly. Briefly. <laughs> yeah. Forgettable, wasn't yeah. it? Here and Quite again. forgettable, yes, yes. <laughs> well, listen, so your dad wrote a book called The Sin of Certainty, and in there, I hope you got your permission on this, he tells a little bit of your story uh, with anxiety and some of the struggles that you went through, and he was telling his faith journey having a daughter that, that struggled with anxiety and these other things. And we thought it would be great to have you on to share some of your story with that. We just want to maybe ask you some questions about what that was like, 
how your faith has shifted or changed through that experience. But maybe we can just start with a little bit before that, when you were younger, and just sort of your perspective on how you were raised and and the faith you grew up with and and your relationship to the Bible. Yeah, well, I think I came about anxiety pretty rightfully. I mean, a lot of people in our family struggle with anxiety. So I think from an early age and probably even like in the womb, I think I just absorbed things really intensely. And so I think from an early age, things just made me really anxious. And coming from a conservative Christian home, I think a lot of what I was learning about God and faith and life was really fear-based. You know, accept Jesus or you're going to hell. Do this or you're punished. And so I think that from an early age, I was sort of getting this message of fear. And I think it was coming from a lot of different directions, but in just kind of referencing more of my faith journey, I think that, yeah, I grew up with kind of a really fearful outlook of God. So I think that just started to create a lot of anxiety in my heart, which kind of grew over time. So it started when I was really little and just kind of continued on like building on itself and just kind of got worse and worse as it went. So how was that? What was the moment at which you would have been able to name this as anxiety? And then maybe take us through how that how did you introduce that to your church family? How did that conversation happen within the context of, of church? I think I was probably around eight when we we really kind of got a label of anxiety. I don't think that my parents or I really knew exactly what was going on with me. My anxiety was coming out as kind of belligerence. I wasn't going to school. I didn't want to be involved in activities, whereas I used to be really social. And when I was about eight years old, we started really kind of searching for some answers and ways to help me. And I believe at that time I got the diagnosis of of having a generalized anxiety disorder. I honestly don't know what the initial response was from our church family or in terms in terms of church. I think that I know I remember feeling as a little kid just completely misunderstood all the time. And I think that was just kind of all around my, my friends, whether they went to church or not. I think there was just this sort of like, what's wrong with you kind of message that I was getting. And I don't know. I mean, I think maybe, I don't know if my dad would maybe have more insight about the message that he maybe got from the church going through that, because I was just really young. But I guess I could speak to sort of when I when I got older, I think there was definitely sort of this aloneness feeling, this sort of silent understanding that if I had more faith, if I believed better, I wouldn't be going through this, or this wouldn't really be happening to me, and that it somehow had something to do with something that I had done or wasn't doing. And it's not really talked about. There weren't a lot of other people who were coming to me saying like, oh, I'm dealing with this. So I felt really alone, I think, a lot of times. So maybe say a little more about how you were internalized. So, you know, there maybe wasn't a lot of external thoughts or people were communicating with you how they felt about anxiety and faith. But what was your own internal, you know, monologue going on inside of you about what this meant for your faith or your views of God? Yeah. I mean, I have really specific memories of sitting in my bed as a teenager with my Bible open and my journal open highlighting and writing and searching. And I wanted answers. I wanted to know why I felt different. I wanted to know why the world felt scary. I wanted to know why I didn't want to be alive. I wanted to know where God was. I wanted to know why He had abandoned me. So I spent a lot of time really seeking God and really not hearing from Him. 
And so I think that was a really, really hard thing for me. And I think that that really affected my faith for years to come. And I would even say still now, in a lot of ways, that period of time where I felt completely unheard and unloved and unsupported by God because of these really hard things that I was going through and feeling like if He really loved me, if I really mattered to Him, I would be able to go to school in 10th grade without a panic attack. I would be able to drive without a panic attack. I would be able to be a normal teenager with a normal life if He really loved me, which I think really set the stage for just a lot, a lot of hurt in my relationship with God, just kind of based on, yeah, based on what I was internalizing about the situation and how I felt like things should be different. I want to get to a little more of that story, but I wanted to go back for a minute. You mentioned a lot of fear-based theology. And it just takes me back to my wife and I were having a conversation the other day. She struggles with anxiety too. And she came to this realization that it really was about how she interacted with what was being told to her. Like we came to this realization that sometimes different personalities or different experiences means that, you know, some people are motivated by that message. And some people aren't affected in negative ways by that, but other people can hear that same message and it can be paralyzing and it can be terrifying for them. So I was just wondering if kind of thinking back through that, how much of that do you feel like did play a part in, uh, you know, it sounds like you just from the womb had a maybe a natural disposition to toward being anxious, but do you feel like that really was unhelpful for you uh, at a young age in being able to handle that or understand how God was involved in that? Yeah. I mean, I think I often wonder how things would be different if I experienced my faith as a little kid as I do now. I think when you're growing up kind of in this conservative Christian, you know, bubble, let's say, there's just, there just seems to be a lot of rules I remember always feeling like there were things that I could do, things that I couldn't do, even things that I wasn't really even thinking of doing, but even just like the Ten Commandments or, you know, don't kill. And, you know, I just, I was always afraid that I was going to mess up. I was always afraid that I was going to do the wrong thing. I was going to say the wrong thing. I was going to lose my place in heaven. And I mean, you know, there's sort of that classic, like, kids growing up in Christian homes, you know, praying to be saved five times, you know, in like a week. Because you want to make sure it sticks. You want to make sure you get to heaven. You want to make sure that there's a place for you there. And and I, I just I think I really absorbed that message. You know, whether or not that's really what people were saying to me, I don't really know. But I do know that there was a lot of rules all around me that scared me. It scared me. I, I think I always felt like I was a little bit of a rebel. And I think I always felt like I just wasn't gonna fit into that that kind of box that I felt my church and my church peers and my Sunday school teacher and those people expected me to fit into in order to go to heaven. And so I think that was really a scary thing for me to be able to, at a young age, say, I don't think I belong here, but what does that mean for my relationship with God? And what does that mean for me when I die? Where do I go? What's going to happen? And just created just a lot of anxiety. Well, it makes me think, the word I think of is sincerity and earnestness. And I feel like culturally, the system isn't really actually built for people to take it really seriously. Peter Rollins makes this point, and and the theologian Soren Kierkegaard makes this point. Like, we don't actually expect people to take what we say about Christianity seriously, because if we did, like, I just, (laughs) you helped me see that in a new light of like, what I hear you saying is, oh, I actually believed 
what was being taught to me. And what was being taught was at, at seven and eight years old, if you don't do these things, you could spend forever in hell apart from God. Like, right. Why wouldn't that create a lot of anxiety? Yeah. Like, if it doesn't create anxiety for you you're as a small attention. kid, you're not paying attention. Yeah, you don't, you're not, you don't believe it. If you actually took it seriously, and so that's what I hear is like you had a sincerity, you had an earnestness, like you, you use the word like absorbed it, like it resonated with you and not in a good way. And so, yeah, that's interesting that for those, I don't think the Christian story is really built for people who are taking it really seriously. So, Kierkegaard makes this point that uh, we can tell we don't take the Bible seriously because when the preacher tells the story of Abraham, we don't all go out and like kill our children. We right. aren't taking that, <laughs> literally, we're not taking it seriously. So, anyway, that just, I think that sincerity, would that be something that would characterize how you grew up, that you felt things, you were very empathetic, you took things seriously and earnestly? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I'm still like that today. And I even see, I mean, in my 16-month-old daughter, I see that in her, which has been really eye-opening for me. If at 16 months, I can see in her eyes that she's absorbing things, how true was that of me as an infant myself? You know, it just, it really is eye-opening. Well, yeah, and it, I think it speaks to maybe the toxicity of some some of our cultures yeah. within Christianity, that the people who are absorbing it the most, it can be so toxic for that's it just says a lot like oh yeah the person who's actually absorbing this it can create a lot of fear i don't know if that's a really good thing yeah so so going to go into your forward in in your story a little bit did cuz i think in the sin of certainty pete paints the picture a little bit that you had a bit of a maybe not a, a breaking point but like a crisis point so maybe you kind of walk us through that cuz then i'd like to understand how your faith was being changed or taught maybe tossed to and fro would be a better way of saying that through that tumultuous time yeah, I think probably the crisis point, I was a junior in high school and I had just switched schools. I switched schools a lot. None of them were sticking. It took a little while to figure out the problem was me. <laughs> I was a junior in high school, going to this new school, went to school for probably three or four days and then said, no, no more. I'm not doing this. Really stopped hanging out with friends, was kind of staying up all night, really just kind of became an insomniac wasn't really eating. Life had just taken sort of a turn. And my parents found a, I guess you could call it like a mental hospital in New York. I went there and spent a few days there and it just became really obvious that it was not the place for me. It was not very helpful. And so coming home, upon coming home, I think my parents kind of decided, okay, like we need, we need sort of a plan, a plan B. We need to, we need to do something here. Probably both of us thought that I wasn't probably wasn't going to reach my 21st birthday at this point because I just, I didn't want to live. I hated life. And I, at that point, my parents decided to send me to like a wilderness camp and they told me about it. They kind of set me up for it. And my dad and I went to, to go, he was going to take me and get on the plane. And at this point I had a, a massive fear of flying as well. So we uh, get on the plane and at the last second I run off. I just said, I'm not doing it. Yeah, I mean, to kind of cut a long story short, because, you know, hopefully I can tell this story in more detail someday, I ended up going to the wilderness camp the next day, taken by like a, a group of transport people, people that specifically come to your house and take your kiddo to, to wilderness or to a therapeutic boarding school or whatever. And so that was, I mean, that was a turning point uh, in a lot of ways. I think that was sort of the beginning of my healing I mean, from there I went to to a boarding school, but um, wilderness specifically was was terrifying. It was two months of my life, but maybe two of the best months of my life in a lot of ways. And I had a lot of experiences in in my wilderness camp where you know you're hiking every day, you've got a, a huge pack on your back, 
you got to make your own dinner, you have to dig your own latrines, you're sleeping, you know, under the stars, you've got, you know, all sorts of weird bugs crawling over you, you can't shower, you know, I mean, you're really, it's bare bones, and you're stripped of kind of everything. You don't have a cell phone, I didn't have a book, I didn't have a flashlight, you know, I mean, you don't have anything. And I heard God speaking to me a couple times while I was in wilderness, and it was probably the first time in my entire life that I was sure, 100% sure that God was speaking to me. And in my faith journey, that was a turning point for me. It was a realization that God was actually there. I wasn't quite sure if he cared about me yet. I wasn't quite sure if he really cared at all what was happening to me, but I heard him and I knew that he was with me in my tent while I was there. And that was a huge, that was a huge faith turning point for me. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with that, Their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee is amazing. They offer free plant consultation forever. We got our bushes in, and you can tell I don't know what I'm talking about because I just call them bushes, but we got them in last night. And Fast Growing Trees knows what they're called. Exactly. That's the whole point. It comes with this placard that tells you exactly what to do like you were in fifth grade, which is the exact instruction level that I needed. And it was very easy to follow. We loved the process. This spring, they have their best deals online up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com code NORMALPEOPLE. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, Pete, I've been pretty emotional this week and I was trying to reflect on why that was. And it turns out, you know, my best friend from college just died. My mom's been in the hospital and I just haven't taken the time to reflect and process all of that. And it's been coming out in all these wonky ways. And that's exactly what therapy can help with. That's really been my experience with therapy as well. I've benefited tremendously from therapy. And I think lately I've been able to get to the point of why. It's learning to look at your situation more as an observer from the outside instead of just reacting to things, just thinking about it and processing the information. I find a lot of the problems become more manageable that way. And that's what therapy does for me. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BNP today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BNP. What, what else would you say was just, you said it was the few of the worst terrifying times of your life and, and maybe some of the best. What were some of those other moments that maybe turned that around for you to end up being a transformative experience? I think that having to provide for myself and being alone in a lot of ways really created a space for me to learn to, you know, really rely on myself and gave me this this sort of trust that I could handle hard things, which was something that I think that I never really got 
as a kid. And that was important for me. It was important for me to realize, wait, like I can handle hard stuff. I can do scary things and it's not going to kill me. And so that was really important too. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would say those are sort of like the basic things. There seems to be a little bit of an irony in this, which I really appreciate, which is the two greatest kind of things that you learn there is that God is there and that you can trust yourself. Because in a lot of Christian narratives, you're actually taught, don't trust yourself. That's not a helpful thing. That doesn't actually bring healing. You need to deny yourself. You can't trust, you know, our hearts are evil. We can't do anything without God. And we should just tr- solely trust in God. But here, here we have a story where I think it's a healthier story where we partner with God in that, that we do trust ourselves, that we can trust God. And those aren't mutually exclusive and that seemed to be a wonderful recipe for healing for you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I am a 100% an advocate for take care of yourself, know yourself. I mean, those things are important. I think it goes hand, I mean, loving God and loving self, knowing God and knowing yourself hand in hand, 100%. And those two things have been huge for me. And they've been really parallel, I think, in my journey as one increases, the other increases. Even when I talk to other of my mom friends, I just, I'm constantly, constantly trying to encourage them to know yourself, take time for yourself. I just think it's huge. I just think it's so important. Hey everyone, my name is Corey Michael Moore from Southern California, and I'm a part of the producers group here at the Bible for Normal People. One thing I have appreciated about this podcast is that it is okay to ask questions. And it's relieving to know that I'm not the only one asking these questions. If you have gotten something from this free podcast, I just want to take a moment to mention how you can support Pete and Jared in their work. This podcast is brought to you by supporters on the Patreon platform. For as little as $1 a month, you can be a part of the group that brings this podcast to normal people everywhere. As a gift for your support, we have book studies, chat groups, and lots of videos from Pete and Jared. So check it out at patreon.com forward slash the Bible for normal people. If you aren't able to support the show financially, go to iTunes and rate and review the podcast. That can go a long way to help others find us. One group in particular we want to thank here is our producers group, who work hard to tell Pete and Jared where they're messing up and how they can do better. Thanks to Robert Auth, Wayne Bartell, John Bonnet, Scott Skiles. The Bible for Normal People wouldn't happen without you. Now, back to the podcast. So that seems to be a, a maybe a shift from the faith of your youth in that way. And maybe talk a little bit more about how that experience transformed transformed your faith. How did you start seeing God differently? How did you start seeing the Bible differently? How did that shape you? I think that experience was just a stepping stone in my relationship with God. And I think that it wasn't, you know, okay, knowing God was there. Okay, that was helpful. That was sort of like the first step. But I think the other piece of it for me, and this happened more so in college when I sort of was given the freedom, was to make some big mistakes, to make some big mistakes and realize that God was still there. And maybe he even understood a little bit of what I was going through and that it wasn't maybe quite so black and white as, you know, don't do this because that's what the Bible says. Instead, there was maybe a relationship with God. And I think that for me, 
regardless of how I feel about God or my belief in God, there's always been this desire to know him and this kind of hope that he's what I need him to be, if that makes sense. And so I Mm -hmm. think that I've always been reaching to God. And when I started to feel his presence in some of my bad decisions or some moments that you know, I'm not necessarily proud of, I started to realize that he's, he's kind of a a rebel himself. And it just, it just kind of opened the doors to, wow, this is, this is, this is not what I thought. You know, this is not how I grew up. There's more to this. And so like my dad's talked about a little bit, you know, we have this sort of parallel journey where my dad was kind of starting to learn some of those things himself, kind of while I was. And I think we both have the same personality where, you know, we want to know more, we want to learn, we want to keep trying to figure it out. And so I think that just kind of spurred me on to continuing to want to know who God really is and who Jesus really is on a relational level. Were there any, you know, that was a stepping stone. Were there other stepping stones or did it become more of a gradual process from there? Were there moments that sort of helped you move along in that journey? I think that there there were moments. I mean, specifically being a student at a Christian college and yet not adhering to their rules was a little bit of a stepping stone, which I guess kind of sounds odd. But for me specifically, the message that I had gotten as a young kid was sex before marriage is bad. It's probably going to kill you. You can never come back from it. And I jumped into college kind of head first and had sex. And I think there was a lot of shame around that for a really, really, really long time. And it probably wasn't until my senior year when I just kind of started letting go of some of that shame and met my husband and, uh, you know, a lot of different kind of things happened where I realized that I I hadn't ruined myself and I wasn't broken. And that was a stepping stone. Like, I think making some huge mistakes in my life or things that maybe I don't, I'm not proud of was really important in my journey towards letting go of some of the things that I had always thought were a really, really, really cut and dry kind of big deal. You know, I'm, I'm thinking through, there's a certain lack of resiliency that we don't get if it's so black and white, because then there's no, there's really no coming back. It's just like you're cut off. Or if you do that, that's like really bad. And there's no room for that. Hey, hey there's no room for kind of dusting yourself off and saying, I feel kind of bad about that, but you know what? That's okay. Because it was sort of these monumental shifts. Like if you do this thing, the consequences were just so huge. There wasn't a lot of like dusting yourself off. There weren't there weren't a lot of small mistakes, it sounded like. For you, again, how you were interpreting it is the mistakes weren't small. They were monumental. They were life-altering. And so every mistake became this really anxiety-producing thing because the world that was painted for you was when you make a mistake, God, the God of the universe is now angry at you. And that is like, you don't really come back from that real easily. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's sort of funny to sit here and say, you know, premarital sex really changed my relationship with God for the better. But I think at the same time, that and other choices were really, really significant in me being able to accept God's unconditional love and his ability to just kind of love us in all of our messiness 
you know, all of the kind of crap that we bring to the table. And that was really important for me. Well, it sounded like, you know, your view of God was pretty transcendent and far off and unrelatable. And it's through making mistakes and finding God still there that God became relatable and understand. You mentioned kind of understanding of you. Absolutely. And that would definitely change the dynamic of, of a relationship. Yeah. Which, by the way, that quote that you just gave is going to be what we put on Facebook and Twitter and uh, <laughs> just so you know, premarital sex changed my relationship with God for the better. That's, hey, listen. Maybe that's the title of the podcast. We'll see. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, Liz, can I, can I ask where, how about like now? Because I know that, you know, we've been talking and, you know, your life keeps moving and now you're, you're out of college a few years and you're still processing your faith amid all that. Where is this trajectory for you, do you think? Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I mean, I, I just want to know. I just want to learn. You know, I think people who are my age, millennials, you know, as you older folks call us, I think that there, I think there's still this sort of fear of kind of branching out from some of those traditions and some of those mindsets. And, you know, it's, it's, we, we want something different. We've seen some, maybe some ways that our parents have done things. Sorry, Dad, you're doing much better now. But we've seen some <laughs> things that our parents have done and we're saying, eh, like that's not okay with us or we don't want to do that. But there's some fear, I think, with kind of shaking things up or what if I start saying some things that make people question my faith? Like, what does that mean for me? Or what if I step away from the church? What does that mean for me? And so I think that I'm still, I'm, I'm navigating all of those questions, you know, I think that I still have a lot of moments of doubt and a, and a lot of moments, I think, of anger towards God, just, you know, just kind of like anyone else, or maybe not like everyone else, but I am just, I'm just trying to figure it out. I mean, that's not really an answer, but I am. I'm just trying to figure it out. Yeah. And I think the way that I'm trying to figure that out, I guess, is by really, really taking the time to get to know who God created me to be. And that's the way that I'm, at this point in my life, going about figuring out who God is and kind of where He is in my life, I guess. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. You know, folks, I've had allergies my whole life, and I never knew what to do with them. I didn't even know that I had allergies. But anyway, one day I went to the doctor several years ago, and I said, listen, I keep having a stuffed nose, and it's just my throat hurts, and it's horrible. And he says, have you tried Claritin-D? And I said, no, I haven't. And he said, you have to. See, luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin-D. This double-action combination of prescriptive-strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. You know, I've been taking Claritin-D for my allergies for about 15 years, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can go for hikes without my eyes watering like a fountain. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat, and my nose isn't stuffed all the time. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. A calling is a powerful thing. It's a very strong belief that there is something bigger for you. It's about who you are and where you're going in life. 
You may be in college, you may be halfway through a career, but you want something different. There's a place for you at Union Presbyterian Seminary, where students are prepared for a call to ministry. At Union, you will find a diverse community. You'll find students from different denominations and professors who will listen to you and challenge you. You'll find people who help you find your own path. You'll find a school where financial realities matter. Union offers generous financial aid, and it meets you where you are with three different platforms for learning, residential, online, and hybrid. You'll find a world-class faculty who will invest in you, a community long after you graduate that supports you and equips you for service and for leadership. Safwat Marzuk, who has been on the podcast here on The Bible for All People, is a faculty at Union Presbyterian Seminary and is slated to write one of our upcoming commentaries. It's no secret, if you're a listener of the podcast, how much Pete and I have relied on our seminary education and how much that has shaped our view of the world and all of our work here at The Bible for Normal People. It's your call. Respond with Union Presbyterian Seminary. To learn more, go to upsem.edu or email admissions at upsem.edu. Well, and, you know, the you can tell me if I'm over-interpreting, but there's also a shift when you talk about your earlier story of being filled with a lot of anxiety, and then you kind of mentioned fear there, but it sounds, it's it's a different thing. Like, I feel like there's a big difference between, like, I think um, being afraid that you kind of might mess up because you're going to do things a little differently than your parents, that seems like a natural fear. That's a manageable fear that's very different. It feels very different when you have a God who is understanding of your mistakes and a God who is there for you and rooting for you and celebrates you. It makes those mistakes, again, it, it, you can be afraid, but it doesn't have to overwhelm you. But to have this God who's against you or kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop just puts a weightiness on it that I think makes it hard to doubt and explore and find yourself and figure that out. Because I don't think we find things without failing. Um, we don't figure it out without making a lot of mistakes first. So in some ways, having that change of you and God frees you up to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, and that's definitely been a huge shift for me is just not really worrying as much about what I'm going to be doing and whether things are going to be right or wrong, I think has really helped me to just be willing to explore my faith and able to explore my faith. And okay, so I put a blog post out there that like ruffles some feathers, like it's not as scary as it once was to be different, to have different thoughts and different ideas, you know, and it's not as scary to admit to my failures, you know, I mean, here I am, what, how many people are going to listen to this podcast? And I'm talking about all Seven, sorts of things. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we're up to a dozen now. Yeah, Pete. Great. Wow. Us, don't sell us short. You guys are going places. <laughs> she's, she's regretting that she even agreed <laughs> to come on. She's like, for 12 people, this wasn't worth my time. <laughs> but, you know, there was a time when I never would have done that, you know, but being able to step out and kind of say what I need to say, I think, I mean, that's, that's a major change even in the last you know, four or five years. And I think you're right. Like having that faith that God's on your side, he loves you, he's rooting for you. He thinks you're really, really a cool person and he doesn't care about all this crap that you've done. I mean, that's a game changer. That's an absolute game changer. So why can't I go out and explore everything that I want to about God, about the Bible, about my own faith, about what all this stuff means on earth? You know, why not figure that out? Because regardless... God's still going to be there and he's going to be who he is, you know, whether I believe in some of the old teachings or whether I'm finding, you know, a new way. So there's a lot of peace in that for sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, it seems like that's what grace is about. Absolutely. That freedom right there. Well, you've gone through a lot. 
yeah, I, mean, I mean, you've had a uh, you've had a lot of story behind you in a short amount of years. So, what would be some maybe pointers or advice that you would give, knowing that you're not you're not there yet, you haven't arrived, but some lessons you've learned along the way that you, people younger than you, folks who struggle with anxiety, or just advice that you would give. Or, or parents too, right? Yeah, or right. parents. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess to start with, kind of kids or teenagers. I mean, really, really focus on learning who Jesus is and learning who you are and focus on those things more than you're focusing on kind of following all of those rules or being that person that your youth leader needs you to be or you think that they need you to be, I guess. Figuring out who God is, figuring out how you are, stepping out in bravery, you know, even in simple things like trying out for the school play, you know, I mean, that that might seem like a very like worldly thing and that's fine you know a worldly passion that's fine go try for the play but like i think that those kinds of things are directly related to your relationship with christ and how that grows if you you know if you can really invest in yourself that transfers to your relationship with god so i would say that's a huge thing for you know i would say you know focus on that and don't get caught so much in the rules and making yourself become what you think you need to be just get to know yourself you just figure that out, figure out who you are, figure out who God is. And those things are so important. And for parents, I mean, you know, I am a parent. I have a 16-month-old, so I haven't really handled the teen years. But I would say there's hope. There's always hope. And I hit some really dark places, and I made some some poor choices. And I'm sure my parents had moments of oh my gosh, like what is going to happen to our child? And, you know, here I am, you know, here I am and I'm doing well. And, you know, I go to therapy and I take my meds and I pray and I run and I have great support systems and, but I'm good. I'm great. And I've made it here. I'm 28, you know, so that's, that's 28 years I'm doing this. And so there's hope. And I think too, not sweating the small stuff is big too not getting caught up in your kid making poor choices, but really trying to get to kind of the heart of who they are and let them kind of, let them figure it out. Like, they'll be all right. You know, I mean, they will, they'll be all right. And when there's, when you need to step in for real safety issues, you'll know when that is. But, you know, if your kid is just kind of making some poor teenage choices, just kind of give them space to fall a little bit and give them space to come to you and say, I messed up, walk me through this instead of trying to micromanage their experiences and their relationship with God. Because like I said before, you know, when I really found God was through some significant kind of rough choices that led me to some really hard places. And if I wouldn't have experienced those things, I don't really know where my faith would be today. And so it's kind of human nature to sort of stop the heartache and keep ourselves and the people that we love safe from that. But those things are important. Let them walk through that and support them and love them and let them know that you're there, but let them walk through that. You know, that, that journey is important. Sounds like you're advocating a parenting style mirroring the picture or the, the way you see God now. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Wow. I never even really thought about it, but that's really true. Yeah. My husband and I have a lot of conversations about just how we want to raise Lila and she's very similar to me. It's just obvious. Right, Dad? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we talk a lot about that. And we talk a lot about raising her in a way where she's free to make mistakes and has a safe place to land at home. You know, and I mean, I know we're not going to do everything right, but I just think that 
I just think that's important, you know, and we all, we all need that, right? We all need to be able to kind of walk our own journey. And I mean, all of us have been told at one point or another, oh, like, this is what you should do. You're doing the wrong thing, but we need to fall for ourselves, right? We need to fail to really realize what we need to be doing differently. So, and, and that you can survive that, that when absolutely. you fall, you can actually get back up yes. and you didn't need that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you're all right. Like, yeah, absolutely. Well, Liz, if I can add one very quick thing for parents. Yeah. And this is something that I've had to process myself in my life is, you know, when parents micromanage when their kids make decisions, they're usually acting out of their own fear and they don't know it. Absolutely. So I think it's a matter of getting in touch with what they're actually afraid of and not simply just transmitting that to your teenager or your junior high or whatever, but actually understanding that and owning it. Because that, to me, that was like, that was the moment for me when I started thinking differently about what's happening and and what's my role in all this. Right. And that comes too probably from your own kind of beliefs and your own fears that I was somehow going to do something kind of outside of what you had always been taught was okay. And I mean, I think for a lot of parents, you know what I mean? There's sort of, especially if we're talking specifically like people who've grown up in conservative Christian settings, you know, if other people are also kind of getting this sort of message of, you know, these are sort of the things that you need to follow. Because we know there's other like empathetic people out there. There's other people that are kind of absorbing things very realistically and holding on to them. So if if that's their, how the parents are viewing things, then their own fear of not meeting that criteria, they're definitely going to project that on their kids. And so, yeah, it just kind of ends up being sort of just a battle for everyone. We're coming to the end of our time, Liz. This has been really enlightening and just a great conversation. So thank you so much for coming on. But is there a place that people can find out more about you or uh, where would you point people to if they wanted to connect with you more? Yeah, I mean, I blog at elizabethpetters.com. Um, and my last name is Peters with two T's. People always call me Peters, but no, Petters. And you can find me Twitter at EE Petters or Instagram at Elizabeth Petters. And yeah, I love talking to people. I love chatting about really like vulnerable, uncomfortable things. So I do a lot of blogging about things that people have trouble hearing. <laughs> that's that's weird because you didn't you didn't really open up today. Right, so. right. So yeah. It's <laughs> weird that you would yeah, say that. Yeah, you'll definitely um <laughs> Yeah, you'll be surprised because I was just really conservative today. But yeah, so you can find me there at ElizabethHeaders.com or follow me on Twitter and Instagram and message me, you know, if you want. I would love to chat with you more if if you need some help kind of navigating some hard stuff. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for jumping on, Liz. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks, Liz. See ya. See ya. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode with Elizabeth Petters on anxiety in the life of faith. She has a blog, elizabethpetters.com, where you can learn more about her story, reach out to her, connect. Um, she appreciates that. She likes to be helpful in that way. So please do that. I think it's a, a good resource. Yeah, and as always, you know, we have a, a vibrant online community over at Patreon, and we invite you to take part in that. For as little as a dollar a month, you can get access to videos and all sorts of fun stuff. And we have merchandise. Well, that's on the website. That's on the that's website. What, it all comes together, yeah. all this online stuff. But speaking of Patreon, <laughs> it's an online community 
community where we have Slack uh, opportunities for people to have deeper conversations, and it's it's just a wonderful community. And if you're interested, there it is at Patreon.com. Uh, and with that, I think we probably should maybe start a mental health channel on Slack. I right, think that would be a, a good addition. So we have if like ten or fifteen you... channels of different topics, and this is one we don't have, and this is one that I think a lot of people. Yeah, so if you yeah. uh, sign up, I think it's at the five dollar level to have access to that uh, chat group with right. the se- several hundred folks communicating and talking about the Bible every day. I think we need to add this as a, as a topic and right. keep it going. Right. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.